0: Welcome to Reality. So good to see you. I want, to, uh, I want you to know that if this is your first time here um, at Reality Church, this is a safe place for you to be able to explore um, your faith. Wherever you've come from today, if you're visiting for the first time or if you haven't been to church for a while, uh, one of the things that we do at Reality is explain, ex- ex- explore the claims of Jesus. And we've been walking through this gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament in the Bible that we read. And right now, we just happen to come upon Matthew 11, which means that today we're going to be talking about doubt. Doubt. Anybody experienced doubt in here at some point in your life? Maybe you're there today. You see human beings are factories of desire. Human beings are creatures of longing. We long for the world to be made right. We long to see tragedy be able to turn into triumph. We are eager to see cancer healed. We want to experience romance, passion, friendship. Most of all, there's an ache in our soul that. Has been aptly summarized by that great African philosopher, St. Augustine, when he wrote these words. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. But what happens when you have found rest in God and then have become restless with doubt? I remember being around 10 years old, and I came to know and trust Jesus Christ. My mom and my grandmother took me to church growing up. I had all sorts of different experiences. They not only preached about Jesus, they showed me what an authentic relationship with Jesus looked like. And then finally, one Sunday morning, I was made aware of my sinfulness, and I received the message of Jesus Christ. So I started going to uh, youth group, and I began to learn to play the drums. I came from a pretty musical family. Then I started singing. I learned to play uh, the guitar. I grew up in a kind of charismatic environment. It was a Pentecostal church in Venezuela. Everything was Spanish. The service was three hours long. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. Hallelujah, right? And so what happened is as things Uh, as, As I started developing as a Christian, I came to the United States, learned this English language, ironic that, of course, I'm preaching in English to you today, and then I was a pretty inquisitive kid. I started studying political theory. That's what I went to school for early on. The first three semesters, I started reading philosophers that I hadn't encountered before, and these questions began to emerge in my mind, and then I had to wrestle with some of the weird experiences that I had at church growing up. And it seemed like slowly something had happened in my spirit. It was as if though my faith had been fractured. Have you been there? Are you experiencing that where sometimes it could seem like the, the, there's a crack in the foundation of your faith. That's where I was, experiencing tremendous doubt. And yet over time, God met me. And I've experienced different doubts since then. And God has met me in different ways every time. The question, one of the questions that emerges from the passage that we read, and we're going to go through it, is, is this. What do you do with your doubt? What do you do when you have questions about God? If you're here and maybe there's a pebble in your shoe, that's what it felt like for me, and I I couldn't walk forward. It's like, oh, that's uncomfortable. How do I live out this Christianity? Or maybe it's an an experience that, that has created something inside of you. It could be a season of suffering. It could be a theological question as you read the Bible and you're like, man, this doesn't fit into my theology. What do I do with this passage? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at the story of John the Baptist. And we're going to learn. I want to share some thoughts and some lessons that we see in this text on how Jesus deals with doubt and how we should deal with doubt. And so let me invite you to open up your Bibles. If you brought one, uh, I would encourage you uh, to read it. We're going to be in Matthew 11. Uh, let the warm glow of that iPhone right shine over your face. If you didn't bring a scripture, that's okay. Um, we have the words coming up on the screen. And if you're exploring the claims of Jesus, I want to encourage you. We have a Bible for you. You can read it for yourself. You can investigate these claims for yourself if you've never opened up the scriptures. And that's one of the reasons why we walk through texts like the one that we're walking through today. Look, Matthew 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison... That the Christ was, what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked them, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus has sent his followers on mission to preach and teach about the kingdom of God throughout the region of Judea. But there's one disciple that's missing from the equation. The most famous disciple at the time was this man known as John the Baptist. He was in prison. But I want you to think about who this man was. When you read the New Testament, you discover that John is so special that the angels in the story of Christmas... Come to his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they actually say, your son, you're going to have a miraculous birth, and your son is going to be a messenger that will prepare the way for Jesus. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit is going to come up on your baby before he's even born. This is a really special dude with an incredible world-changing purpose even before he's born. John the Baptist was also the most famous preacher before Jesus Christ. Literally preached to thousands of people. He's so like he's such a key dude in the Bible that he gets to be the one who baptizes Jesus as the story of salvation is unfolding. By the way, John the Baptist, he was also Jesus' cousin. El primo. It's a big deal. When he hears of Jesus' plans, when he starts hearing everything that's happening, he starts hearing about his ministry. This is when this hesitation and this doubt begins to enter his heart. See, doubt, and you can write this down doubt can often emerge from unmet expectations. Doubt often emerges from unmet expectations. It makes me think of this story about a couple named Paul and Rachel. Okay, we're going we're gonna to call them, because we're in Miami, Paul and Raquel, You right? They get married. They have two weeks of wedded honeymoon bliss. They come back on a Sunday night. He's got to wake up for work, and he turns to his wife, and he says, you know what, honey? i got to be at work at 6. You know what? Could you make breakfast for me by 5.45 so I can just get going? Raquel turns to Paul, and he says, excuse me? Anybody ever gone through this before? I don't know. This is a this is a hypothetical story. Okay? Hypothetical. And he says, Well, I mean, I grew up and my mom always made um, breakfast and, and eggs and 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 pastelitos, you know what I'm saying, bacon, and she had it ready for me every morning. And she turns around to him and says, I am not your mom. Good thing is they, they're still married. Uh Paul's been making breakfast for a really long time. (laughs) Tension in relationships often comes out of unmet expectations. yes? Yes? The same thing happens in your relationship with God. Think about John for a moment. He's in prison. Why was he there? We read in Mark the following Herod, who was ruling at the time, he had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. In other words, novella style, here's what happened. The king married his own brother's wife. John, who was known for his courage and his boldness, Here's what we read in verse 18. John had been telling Herod, the king, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Well, what happens when you live in a monarchy, and I know Rome was supposed to be a republic, but a monarchy, and you tell the king, hey, dude, you're not supposed to be doing this. You probably get killed or you get arrested. And that's what happens with John the Baptist. He's known for his courage and his boldness. It's what makes his preaching so special. When you read in the book of John, for instance, about the way he talked about Jesus, he says things like this. When when John sees Jesus coming towards him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says things like this. He says to the crowd, this is the guy I've been telling you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of John. He is chosen for ministry. He's courageous. He famously states, he must increase. I must decrease. You know what he does? He takes the glory that's been given to him and he points it back to God. This is the kind of man that has pointed generations of people back to God. What leads the strongest, boldest, most courageous Christians to experience such level of darkness of the soul that they begin to wrestle with doubt, even John the Baptist, and it leads them to ask a question of Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Unmet expectations. See, John had preached about Jesus bringing deliverance to people, but now he himself was in prison. And he expected, most likely, deliverance from the situation that he was facing, but Jesus never came to deliver him. Jesus, you're, you're not only the Savior, like, you're my cousin, bro. Have you experienced unmet expectations with God? Maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you've experienced this kind of doubt that even the greatest man, according to Jesus, dealt with. Doubt that comes from suffering, from difficult situations, from unanswered prayers, unmet expectations. Maybe you've assumed, you've been singing about God. You have maybe had a season where you served him faithfully and you've come to church and you give and you're like, God, like I'm expecting you to answer and to come and heal me or help me get through the situation, but that deliverance doesn't come. What do you do then? What do you do when somebody says, yeah, man, God's just been so faithful to me? What are you supposed to say? Has he been faithful to me? What was John the Baptist supposed to say? Is God faithful? Yes, he was. What are the expectations that you have of Jesus? I want you to know if you wanna deal with your doubts effectively, one of the lessons we learn from this text is that you have to examine your expectations of God. What kind of box have you drawn around the person of Jesus? If you're experiencing that kind of doubt, like you have to ask yourself the question, who do you expect Jesus to be? What have I been learning over time? What are the assumptions that I have on my mind? What do you expect him to do for yourself? I remember in a season of life, it was around 2022, uh, 20, um, what was it, dude? I'm getting older now, dude. I'm going to be 40 this year. My goodness. Um, it, right after high school, in the middle of my college years, my family started a restaurant business, and the short story is it failed. And we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. We went into debt. I remember walking into that restaurant. I was the general manager. I was about 22 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I tried my best. We woke up early, we woke up late. If you're in the hospitality industry, dude, my prayers are with you, okay? It is super, super intense. I, nobody in my family was bald. I started losing hair. That's how bad it was, okay? And I remember one day I'm walking towards the bathroom. There's no one in the restaurant. And here comes my mom, you know, godly woman, my dad. They're just like at peace. And they kind of whisper as I'm going to the bathroom, she's like, What's wrong? God's going to take care of us. And I went into the bathroom and I started weeping. I lost it. I lost it because I had grown up with the expectation that whatever I was going to do, if I was a Christian, it was supposed to succeed. Is that true, though, biblically speaking? It's not. (laughs) I had some weird kind of prosperity theology that taught me that whatever I was going to do because I was a Christian, it was going to succeed. This happens kind of like when you're in high school and you do sports. And I used to back in the day. It may not look like it now, but I really was. And so what happened is I'd be like, dude, you know what? I'm a Christian and I'm running with all these people that don't believe in you, God, dude. You know what? I'm supposed to win this thing and then you land on like 10th place and you're like but David and Goliath what I don't understand what happened you know <laughs> unmet expectations what are the expectations that you have of God you want to deal with your dad effectively you're going to have to wrestle with this question which is why it's going to lead you back to it's going to lead you back into the bible of reading this text so that you actually understand who God is and what expectations he has Of not only himself but of you that's what's so powerful about the story think about it if you're here wrestling with doubt it's okay even John the Baptist wrestled with that but how do we do it how do we deal with it you have to examine your expectations number two you have to run to Jesus with your doubt run to him with your doubt this is counterintuitive because when people experience doubt sometimes they have a sense of shame like, dude, the last place I want to bring my doubts to is the church, right? I want to tell people what I really believe. Part of the reason why we started this church, listen, is to create a space for that. So that, I mean, our name is reality. So that you can actually be authentic with God and with people as you wrestle with your doubts. Look at the text. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent a message immediately are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else he deals with the situation he goes to God rather than turn away from him rather than all of a sudden surround yourself with a bunch of TikTok and YouTube videos that try to explain some sort of 30 second theology you know what he did (laughs) he went to Jesus he asked him the question Because doubt, listen, some some people really, especially in the church, can view doubt as tremendous weakness. I love what the late pastor Tim Keller, who just recently died, he wrote a lot about doubt. And this is what he says. He says that having doubts in your faith, having faith without doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who go through life, Too busy or indifferent to ask the hard question, he writes, about why they believe as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experiences of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Like all trials, here's what doubt does. Doubt can actually refine your faith, not stifle it. It can refine it. Another New Testament scholar says this, that when you're working through a doubt, this is Anthony Thistleton, it's important to actually continue being active in a local church. And in mission outreach, he's like, read scripture, pray regularly, and talk with, with other believers. When you bring your honest doubts to Jesus, he doesn't come down on you with condemnation. This is not what we see in the witness of the New Testament. When you see that in in the life of John the Baptist, there's another dude in John chapter 20 doubting Thomas. Same thing. Jesus creates space for us to be able to deal with our doubt. And I know that's a very kind of, in our cultural moment, people talk about creating space all the time, okay? We got to make space, bro, for conversation, dude. We got to make space for difficult questions. We got to make space for interviews. They say, I love everything about making space making space and making space is not here's what it's not when you make space to deal with your doubt okay it's not so that you can have a license to sin there is a doubt in the Christian life that is grounded in our disobedience does that make sense in other words when we sin and when we start walking away from the truth of the gospel When we start just living for ourselves, the script, like you're gonna lose confidence in the gospel. So, as you're doubting, my encouragement to you is not to walk away, right, from God and just live, like, and do whatever you wanna do. Actually, you bring all of those things to God. You run to Jesus with your doubt. You run to the church, not away from it, because guess what? God can handle your doubts. Don't use your doubts as a license to sin. If you wanna deal with doubt effectively, That's the last thing that you want to do. Listen to how Jesus responds to John's question. Look, Jesus replied to them, to John's disciples, and then back to John. He says, go and report to John. (laughs) This is tough, man. What you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. How do you deal with your doubt effectively? Number one, you have to examine your expectations. Number two, you run to Jesus with your doubt. And then number three, you have to realize that Jesus responds to genuine doubt with genuine evidence. John, he was expecting a kind of Messiah that would rain down mostly vengeance and justice upon the sin of Israel and the sin of the people around them. And certainly when you read the scriptures, you find out that God and Jesus is the judge, that he will judge the living and the dead at some point because of the things that they have done. But that's not how Jesus enters the scene and Jesus is more than a judge, amen? Uh, you can say amen back to me, by the way. I know I just got back from vacation and everything. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but I just want to make sure you tapped in. Amen? amen. Come on, somebody. There you go. Uh, he has to jog John's memory of the scriptures. Here's what Jesus does. I want you to think about this. John understood the Old Testament. He understood the prophecies and promises about Jesus Christ. And so when he says that all of these things are happening, he's reminding John of the book of Isaiah. For instance, in Isaiah 35, 5, This is what's written about the Messiah who is to come. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. It hearkens back, Isaiah 61, verse one. Listen, when the Messiah was coming, and this is quoted also in Luke chapter four in the New Testament. This is what Isaiah writes. The spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. He's telling John, listen, John, I'm giving you genuine evidence that what you read in Isaiah and what you prophesied about is actually true. But it didn't happen the way you thought it would happen. He responds to his genuine question with genuine evidence, with genuine Truth. His ministry, though, for Jesus, I want you to realize this, it's holistic. He, he calls people to repentance from their sin, but the kingdom of God was inaugurated with signs and wonders. And here's the good news for those of us who experienced doubt. Jesus never asked us to put our faith in something that wasn't true. He didn't ask us to believe in something for the sake of just believing it or so that it would make us feel really nice or whole or because human beings are weak and we need to have some sort of psychosomatic peace in order to deal with the realities of life. He invites us to ground our faith in something that is real. For some reason, Christianity has been mistakenly characterized as a faith for the non-intellectual. It's sometimes caricatured as a faith for the uneducated masses. I remember growing up learning English. Once I did it, you know, you started watching the show called Larry King live. You remember that? Maybe you've seen it. And so what happens is Larry would have these debates. And and here's what it would sound like to me growing up. Um, From Oxford University, we have uh, atheist professor Richard Dawkins, author of the God Delusion, And also here uh, on the evangelical side, we have uh, Joe from Florida. (laughs) Who's going to win that debate? Now, I have nothing against Joe from Florida, okay? I love this place. And there's something about Christianity that the simplicity of it is for both the person that doesn't necessarily even know how to read and for the utmost intellectual. At the same time, I don't want us, when you're experiencing doubt, to mistake the simplicity of Christianity for a lack of intellectual substance. Some of the greatest universities in the world, Oxford, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they were started to train pastors. Did you know that? It was the church who started those educational institutions because truth is at the center of Christianity. We don't believe in Jesus Christ because it's a fantasy. Listen to me, I will proclaim this today to you Jesus Christ came, He died, and He was raised on the third day, and the world has never been the same again. But listen, I remember feeling guilty when I was a teenager and college student because I had genuine questions. Even as a pastor, I've had like, man, when I've had my doubts, I'm like, who, who do I talk to about this? I'm supposed to be a pastor. If you're doubting, what I want to challenge you to do is you bring those honest doubts to God, but you have to deal with them responsibly. I want to challenge you. If you have serious doubts, there are serious resources for you. Okay? And here's a note. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I love podcasts. I love YouTube. It's, uh, it's an incredible resource for us. Uh, but they're really not the best mediums to engage in robust theological and philosophical conversation. Okay, a little bit of philosophy, just like a little bit of psychology is really dangerous. You know, those people that have taken two classes in college about psychology and they're like, dude, I am a mental health professional. (laughs) It's the same with philosophy and theology. When you dive into this world, what happens is it actually humbles you. You can actually grow in maturity and in thought when you engage some of the resources that are available because of the Christians who have lived through centuries and been some of the greatest scholars that the world has ever seen. How do you deal with your doubts effectively? Listen to me. You have to. You have to examine your expectations. You run to Jesus with your doubt, okay? You realize that Jesus brings, he offers genuine evidence to genuine doubts, okay? So you deal with your doubt responsibly. And then number four, you realize, especially in this text, here's one lesson, that God is for you, but life is not about you. Look at what Jesus says in verse six. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So John... You can trust my plan. You may not understand it, but I'm the right guy. He loved John. He had a plan for John, a plan that affected the rest of history. Look at how he begins to describe him in the crowds. He says in verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, as the disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And he asks this question. This whole passage is framed in different questions. It starts with a question from John to Jesus. And now Jesus asks these questions to the people. There's questions all over chapter 11. And he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind. He's saying, I know you guys went to see John the Baptist out in the desert away from the city. Why did you go out there? Was it because there was a, a, somebody who was really shaky, a reed swaying in the wind? No. You went to see John and he was so incredible because he had this backbone of a faith. He was courageous and bold and that's why you went out into the wilderness. And then he asks another question. He says, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What did he say? He's he's like, hey, the reason you went out to see John the Baptist wasn't because he was this really powerful, important political figure. At the time, those were the people that wore the soft clothes. The irony is that he was actually in, he was actually imprisoned in the palace with the people that were wearing the soft clothes. No, you, you went out to see John because he was a prophet who wasn't enmeshed with the government and who could actually speak truth to whoever he wanted. And so Jesus asks this question again. He's talking about John. He loves him. And he says, what did you go out to see in verse number eight? Number nine, sorry. A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet... This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Frederick Dale Bruner, he explains this. John, think about this for a moment. He was more than a prophet because he was prophesied. (laughs) He was the object of a prophecy in the Old Testament. And he had come to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And so Jesus says this in verse 11. Truly I tell you, think about this for a moment. Among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? Jesus says, hey, guess what? Abraham, the father of many nations incredible figure in the old testament and the christian life he's not greater than john the baptist david the greatest king that israel never always had that, that it had at any point of, of their history who defeated goliath and who did all these incredible things he's not greater than john the baptist not daniel who stood up for god in the lion's den with king nebuchadnezzar not moses Who led the people out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea. No, Jesus says, up to now, John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever lived. This man who lived out in the wilderness, dressed in camel's clothes, eating locusts and honey. This is the greatest man who ever lived. John was a big deal. But as incredible as he was, he was still a supporting actor in the story. God loved him, but life was not about him. You see, in the biblical narrative, God is not only the author. (laughs) He is the actor. He is the end of the story. It reminds me of a time, some of you may not know this, but I actually had a short career in acting when I was younger. And the biggest opportunity for me when I was young came when I was cast for this wonderful theatrical play. I learned my lines. I developed a character. I did a little bit of research. I was given this incredible costume, Okay, Anybody ever acted? You know how cool that is? And I was so confident that I would perform well. It was about the year 1995, and I was about 10 years old, and I played the role of the um, angel Gabriel in a Christmas play at my church. And we had an incredible crowd in this auditorium, I mean garage, of about um, 40 people. Um, I had a rope tied to the back of my belt, literally hung over a beam as an angel, okay? Picture that when I was like really, really skinny, okay? Um, I mean, the crowd loved it. I learned my lines. I swung from one side of the room to the other. People were amazed. I delivered the line to Mary and Joseph and then my time was done suddenly the play kept happening and I grew a little bit resentful because everybody seemed to be so obsessed with this manger and this baby that was there it wasn't even real okay <laughs> I had a problem with this play the truth was listen <laughs> sometimes in life we have a really cool role to play and God has an incredible purpose for your life do you know that Do you know that God has a plan for you? God has called you to incredible things to participate in his kingdom. But at the end of the day, (laughs) you're the angel Gabriel. He's the point of the story. He's the main character here. We're never the main character. Which is why we need to remind ourselves that God is unmistakable before you. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. This is not a fable. This is historical fact. He came, he died, and he rose again. And the world was changed, not through power, uh, not through earthly power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. God did all of those things for you, and yet life is not about you. How do you deal with your doubt effectively? Effectively. Part of it is putting yourself in the right role that God has for you to play and understanding who you are and your identity, that you are made and you are beautiful in God's sight and you are made in His image and he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. But this life is not about you. Now the second half of that verse said that, um, it said this, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist than he. What did Jesus mean by that? It's, it's incredible. Um, in the case of John, you see, he dies a tragic death. You can read about it in Matthew 14. It's almost like he foretells the cross and the death of Jesus, not only in his announcement, but also in his death. He doesn't get to experience the cross, death, and resurrection of Jesus, so he never gets a full experience of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing to earth. That's why The text says that the least in the kingdom of heaven can experience great status, even greater status than John the Baptist. Here's why. Because the poorest, the marginalized, the outcast, whoever you are in this room, when you receive the gospel and the goodness of Jesus Christ, here's what Jesus does. He gives you new life. He gives you a new status. He gives you a new inheritance. He gives you a new family. Understanding standing of the kingdom of God, that is incredible. And this is one of those things about the nature of the kingdom of God that doesn't make any sense. It's this. Christianity is not something we earn with our good works. There's yeah. nothing you can do to get to God to save you. Christianity is a gift. It is grace. And it is accepted through faith. Remember, when you're dealing with your doubt that it takes faith to believe in god not blind faith but a trust in the reality of the risen christ god was for john but this life was not about john and god is unmistakably for you but life is not about you it's about him and the moment you begin to understand that reality your entitlement begins to fade And it opens up the opportunity for your heart to be humbled, to come to the Father with your questions, and to be able to say to Jesus, I trust you. Let's pray.